All right, thank you so much. You can be seated, stretch for just a second. And uh, everybody had your coffee this morning? All right. I know that that one guy is going to be popular this week, all the GA tickets. And um, I thank the Lord for uh, the GA. It was a great experience this morning. Had a great Americano. Um, I, uh, I normally, in the morning, my routine is, in the morning, I get up. And, um, you know, some people think, like pastors and, and preachers, that when we get up in the morning, we've got angels sitting on the side of the bed. And there's just like this, ah, you know, we get up in the glory of the Lord and we walk with God. It's a resurrection of the dead when I get out of bed. And I'm more like Frankenstein walking to the kitchen. And I, I, I have a coffee pot that comes on automatically. Dr. R, there was a water up here. Thank you. Um, but... Uh, I have a coffee pot that automatically comes on. I have a couple of good, uh, I have two good cups of just, uh, just regular drip brewed coffee. And that kind of gets me going. I drink those two cups, read my Bible, and, and uh, spend a little time with the Lord. Then when I, get, when I get ready to go, I go to my office. Then when I get to the office, I have a Gagia Classic espresso machine and a burr grinder and I have good beans and I grind those beans and I make a, just a really good Americano with a good espresso. And then or sometimes I'll make like a good flat white. I've got a little fridge, I'll, 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 I'll steam the milk. And uh, man, then I just enjoy that kind of quietly. And then the staff gets there and they ruin my day. But until then, it's been a blessing up until that point. And so this morning I got to the GA. They did not disappoint with a good Cafe Americana. How many of you are good? You're just coffee drinkers. You love to drink coffee. How many of you do not like coffee? All right. We're going to pray for them. Uh, the Bible said in the last days there would be scoffers among us and people that were... Um, People that, that said they were of us, but they were really not of us. I mean, even the Bible, there's a book of the Bible, Hebrews. I mean, God himself brews in heaven. So you got to have some coffee. Look in your Bible this morning to 1 Peter chapter 4. Hasn't this been an awesome year? I mean, this has been a great year. 2020, man. I had an awesome calendar at the beginning of this year. It was color-coded, it was planned out, and, um, and then I, I, don't even know what's, I don't even know what day this is, really, honestly. I think it is a Tuesday, but uh, man, my calendar got blown up, everything got changed. I will be, though, honest with you, Brother Gedge, I enjoyed March. I, I just was at home. I would wake up in the morning, I had nowhere to go, and I just drank coffee. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, I'm just drinking tons of coffee at home, and I got so much stuff done at the house. I mean, like, I, I repainted it. Um, no, I didn't really, but I mean, I, 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 I did all kinds of stuff at my house. I got all kinds of work done uh, around the house. I, I, I stayed in my pajamas, like, most of the day. I did a daily devotion with our church. I only had to put a shirt on. That's all I had to do. And, uh, man, it was great. And um, I was just at home in my pajamas, drinking coffee, and my wife was praying, God, please, please end this. Uh, he's got to get out of the house. And so my wife's been praying. Uh, yesterday, yesterday, my, my daughter, Brianna, and I were, um, we, we, we were out eating lunch, and 
she got a notification on her phone. And Fox News posted yesterday that they just uncovered, maybe you saw this, they just uncovered a new tomb, um, a burial ground in Egypt, and they just uncovered 100, and, and 100 plus, like 120 coffins with mummies in them. Did anybody else see that, that, that notification? Some of you saw that. They just uncovered this, and we saw that, and Brianna looks at me and goes, this is not the year. <laughs> Put them back. Just cover them up. We'll come back to it next year. Just mark it. We know where it is. 2021, we'll come back and see it. This is not the year to be unearthing mummies. So who knows? There could be some really cool stuff happen before the end of the year. But uh, this has been a great year. I've enjoyed the year. I really have. Um, the, God, has, God has done some things in my own personal walk, in my own personal life, to just shake things up. Uh, God has done some things in our church to remove some things that we thought was really important to get us back to the things that really do matter. Uh, it's just been a great year. The fact that you're at college, I admire that. I'm so thankful that you, by faith, came to school and uh, you've, you've gone through this semester with all of the different challenges, wearing a mask everywhere. I will tell you something, man. Learning to wear a mask has been, has been one of the most difficult things for me. I always forget my mask. And then I'm walking in, and then the, there's like a girl there, and she's like, sir, you need to wear a mask. And I'm like, oh, man, I forgot my mask. Can I, do you guys have a mask? No, no one has a mask. And I've always got to run back out to my car and get a mask and, but one of the things that wearing a mask has taught me is I need to carry breath mints. <laughs> and I need to brush a lot more frequently than what I've been doing. Uh, how many of you have noticed that about your own breath in your mask? Job 17.1 has been my new life verse this year. My breath is corrupt. My days are extinct and the grave is waiting for me. I mean, listen, when I, I, sometimes I get up in the morning, I put that mask on, I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I eat yesterday or last year? What is rotting in me? But uh, I've learned a lot, I've learned a lot from the mask. There's a lady in our church that she, she doesn't wear a mask anywhere she goes. Colorado's an open carry state, which means that you don't have to have a concealed weapons permit to carry a gun. You can carry a gun as long as it's visible. And uh, so I asked her about that. I said, you know, I said, well, don't you, get, don't you get in trouble going into different places? And they said, no. She said, when I walk in and they tell me that I have to have a mask, I just, I just say no. And I just keep walking. And I said, really? They don't do anything? She said, well, open carry helps. <laughs> I've got this big 45 on my hip. I'm like, no, I'm not wearing a mask. And I walk in. So I've tried that, but squirt guns don't do the trick. So anyway... But look in your Bible today, 1 Peter chapter three. This, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. This has been a, a, a crazy year. We've talked about it so much. We've preached about it so much. But you know, the people in the Bible that we read from all the time, uh, the people like, uh, like Joseph and Moses and, and David, uh, men like Jeremiah and, and uh, men like Ezekiel, men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the Apostle Paul, Men like Peter, they were accustomed to these kind of things. In fact, if they saw what we were going through and, and, and really complaining about, many of them would just, I think, kind of shake their head and say, we need to pray for this group. Uh, it's not really that bad. Uh, these people were, when we read the Bible, we forget that these, these people in 1 Peter, these were strangers uh, that were scattered abroad. They were people that were displaced. They weren't able to gather 
uh, in their churches as often as what we, what we do. And they didn't have online church. They, they, didn't, they weren't able to put it up on the TV and watch church in high definition in their PJs on their couch. These were people who were scattered and they were under serious persecution. Uh, they were people who had uh, uh, leaders like Nero, Herod, Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, these were people who were under great dictators, violent, violent regimes, and they were in serious trials and tribulations. And when we come to the book of First Peter, it's, it's no different. These people in First Peter, God's people, are scattered. There's been heavy persecution that took place in Jerusalem. The, the church, the early church was scattered. and They were out in, in all sorts of different places. Many of these were Jewish people who were now living in Gentile places. And by default, because they were Jews, they were rejected by the Gentiles. But not only that, they were Christians. So many of the Jewish people in these communities, they rejected them as well because they believed on the Messiah. And so these were people that understood major persecution. They, were, they suffered economically. They couldn't have their jobs. Many of their businesses were stripped away. Their family members died. Listen, not, not, not long ago, a couple years ago, I, I was in northern Iraq. Our church was starting a church in northern Iraq up in Kurdistan. And well, I was there and, and I met people in, in that part of the world who were refugees who had come out of, who come out of Iran who had come out of Syria. And these people who had, who had been saved, I heard stories of miraculous ways that people had heard the gospel. One such family was in Iran, and they were, uh, one morning, he woke up, he'd had a dream, and the dream, in, his, in this man's, in his dream, he, he was uh, uh, supposed to take his family on a hike up a little mountain, and so he gathered his family together. He didn't really know anything about church or God or the Bible. He didn't know anything. Uh, in a very oppressed uh, Iranian community, heavily Muslim, this man gathered his family and they went on a walk on a Sunday morning and they took a little hike up a mountain. And they got toward the top of the mountain. Uh, they heard some voices. And in a, little, in a little outcropping of rocks down there, there was a handful of people. And this handful of people, they were hiding in these rocks and they were, they were singing, but they were singing in a whisper. And uh, the man opened up a little box and he pulled out a book. It was the Bible. And the man began to read in hushed tones the Bible. And this man and his family were watching this. They, had, they, had, they were observing it. And uh, his, little, his little daughter made a noise. The people saw them and they were terrified. And uh, they saw this family. They brought the family in. And he said, what are you doing? And they said, why are you up here? He said, I had a dream, and a dream told me that in the dream I was to walk up this mountain. And while he was there, these people took the Bible and shared the gospel with them, and they got saved. He was excited about it. He began to tell family that he got saved. But he lost his business. He, um, uh, he, he, was, he was shunned by his family. I, I met his little son. His son had acid thrown in his face. was burned. They, under this persecution, they fled. They came into Kurdistan. And I met these people. I'm talking about believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like when I met these people, I realized, I realized that, that, that they had something. They had a love for Christ that I had not yet experienced in my own life. 
it, it, there was a reality to it. They weren't, listen, these people were not, when we were, when we were in these conferences and we were preaching, they weren't taking notes and comparing me to the latest podcast and wondering where I was on this issue or that issue. And they weren't, they, they, weren't, they weren't into all the politics of Christianity that we are afforded the privilege of today. They were just hungry for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, would, they wept over their families to be saved. And this is what Christians in, in Peter's time are going through. They're scattered. They're suffering. And Peter gives them some things and he says, hey... You have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You're going to heaven. Then he said, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold, multicolored, multidimensional, manifold, temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. He was writing this to suffering Christians that you're going to go through a trial of your faith. Later in the book, he said, he said, listen, he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking God. And he said, he said in that same passage of scripture, when you're reviled, revile not again. When you suffer, threaten not, but commit yourself unto him that judgeth righteously. Christians are going to suffer. And how we respond to that, the persecutions and the problems, how we respond to that means everything to the gospel. And Peter told them later in that book, he said, he said, but if you suffer as a Christian, happy are ye. He said, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in so much as you are partakers of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. We, listen to me, we have been brought to this place in time, in human history, for a cause. And I want to say this right now today. Persecuted churches are powerful churches. Go back and read the book of Acts when the great persecutions took place in Acts. It was the persecuted church that was the powerful church. It was the church that could not be crushed. It was the church that began to spread. And God used it to spread the gospel. Think about it. Here we are, 2,000 years later on a different continent, speaking a different language. All these many, many years have gone by, and yet we're preaching the same gospel. Why? Because persecuted people were powerful people. And they spread the word of God. You know what God is looking in this generation? He's looking at He's looking at our faith, the trial of our faith. But I want to give you one brief thought today about the trials of our faith that we're enduring today. As young students in this college, listen to me, you've got a ministry ahead of you, and I hope that you are looking forward with hope and with faith. I hope that you're looking forward to what is in front of you, not with fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This is time for God's people to have an eye of faith 
and a heart of hope and to walk forward into the unknown knowing that God has a hold of it. It's a trial of our faith. God is trying us. And can I tell you something, college student? A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. If we go through some trials in our faith and we crumble under the trial, that faith could not be trusted. It is the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, the faith that was a gift of God to us, that faith will be purified in trial. But there's one overreaching thing that every one of these people in the New Testament that were going through persecutions and trials and suffering and difficulties, there's one overreaching thing that they all had. And this is what I want you to have today. They all had, they all had an overwhelming sense of the soon coming Christ. They were consumed with the return of Jesus Christ. I mean, they were looking for it. Look in your Bible today. Look in your Bible. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. This is a suffering people, a tried people. Uh, uh, they, these are people that are under great persecution. And notice what he says in verse, number, in verse number 7. He said, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He said, hey, you're going through the trial and the suffering, but listen, it's the end of all things that's at hand. And here's how you respond. You need to respond with a hope that Jesus is coming again. Can I tell you, he is coming again. I mean, we're near to it. In Acts chapter 2, in those days of great persecution, we're talking 50 days after Jesus was, was killed, uh, and they had just crucified him in a horrendous death. Now his apostles gathered together on the day of Pentecost, and on that day, Peter stood up and said, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, he said, all things happen unto them as examples for us upon whom the end of the world are come. We, he said, all of those things in the Old Testament happened as an example for those of us to whom the end of the earth has come. Here we are at the end of it. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians. In Hebrews 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, God has spoken to us in these last days by his Son. In Philippians 4 and verse 5, Paul said, the Lord is at hand. James 5 and verse 9, uh, the judge standeth before the door. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain. Hey, listen, Jesus is coming again since the book of Acts. They've been, we've been preaching about the last days. Now, Jesus may not come for 100 years. But it doesn't change the fact that he's coming. And it doesn't change the fact that these are the last days. And it doesn't change the fact that you and I as believers in these last days are going to persevere by keeping our eye on the fact that Jesus is coming again. Hey, we have an incredible future. Christ is coming. I'm going to heaven. And so here's the overwhelming thing. And this is what I want you, I, I, I prayed the Holy Spirit to put these words in your heart today. Number one. Number one this morning. 
in these days of persecution, in these days of, of trial, and by the way, we're not as persecuted as what, we, as, what, as what we would think and what we would often say. I mean, we can read persecution, but in these days, as we see the storm clouds gather and the world is in fear, God's people should not be in fear. Why? First of all, we should be looking for his coming. Can I tell you, Christian, one of the things that you need to do is get your eyes off of everything that's going on in the world and get your eyes on the skies. Christ is coming again. Look at verse number seven. He said, at the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. He said to be sober. To be sober. What is to be sober? It means to be in your right mind. It means to have a, it means to have a right outlook. You know, the world has a terrible outlook. I was just telling the men, Brother Getch and, and uh, Dr. Shetler and, and, and Dr. R, and we were, we were in the back room and, uh, just before we came out, and I was telling them uh, just the week before the election, my wife and daughter went to the church for a function, and I was at home, and I had heard the president talking about CNN, just COVID, 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 COVID. So I flipped it on. I don't watch the news very often, but I flipped on, uh, flipped on CNN. And uh, listen, in 15 minutes, I was terrified. Like in 15 minutes, I wanted to have like six masks on and gloves. I mean, listen, they, the, the whole propagation of fear. And if you look around the world and people are feeding on all of this and, and the average unsaved person in the world, they're looking at politics and they're waving their political flags and uh, their, their hope is in who wins this election. And, and then you, you have people who, uh, who are, are just absolutely terrified about the disease. They're, they're, people are fearful on every hand about everything. Riots and racism and the stirring up of all that's in the world. I mean, the dust has been kicked up in the air. It has clouded the horizon. Many today are, are fearful of the future. But I want to say to you, Christian, you need to stand back and be sober and understand this is a sign that Christ is coming again. It's nothing more than just the Lord saying to the Christian, hey, remember, this world is not your home. You're just past, every generation goes through some times where God just shakes some things up and says, remember, the world's not your home. You're just passing through. I'm coming to get you to be sober. And can I tell you, we need to be serious about the fact that Jesus is coming. How many of you are going home next week? You're heading home next week. All right. How many of you have already got your plane ticket? How many of you have already, uh, how many of you have already started kind of planning what you're going to take home and what you're going to leave here? Uh, obviously you're leaving next week and you're making preparation for it. You've got your eye on the prize. Man, you're going home. Turkey. I'm not a huge turkey fan. I like, I like it, but listen, I had a fried turkey one time. Oh, man, help us. Fried turkey, fried okra, fried green beans, fried eggnog. I don't care what you fry. Fry it. I lived in Mississippi for a long time. I'm, I'm from Colorado, but the Lord took me south for a while. I went to a state fair in Mississippi, and I literally, I went to one booth at the state fair, and they had fried Twinkies. Anybody ever have a fried Twinkie? Oh, man. But Brother Getch, you know what they were selling at the next booth? Fried Oreos. I had a fried Twinkie and a fried Oreo. I don't know which one was better. They were amazing. But the very next trailer, not kidding, Dr. Shetler, they were selling fried butter. <laughs> Sticks of butter on a stick, deep fried. It was awesome. 
It was amazing. If you, I don't, you like butter? I love butter, man. Butter fried is unbelievable. I don't know how they did it. It's kind of like fried ice cream. I don't know. But they did it, and I love it. When you bought that, they just had a guy walk behind you with one of those little machines, clear, right? <laughs> You're looking forward to going home. Man, listen, I, one of the things I love, I love sweet potato casserole. Now, I'm not talking about, like, just sweet potatoes. I'm talking about sweet potatoes, but mainly brown sugar and a ton of marshmallows. Like, I want this thing. Like, I want, I want my face to be stuck together when I get done with this. I want to take a bite, shoot insulin, take a bite, shoot insulin, and follow it up with some pumpkin pie. Now you're looking for, I mean, you're listening, you're making plans. You're excited about going home. You know, how many of you know exactly what you're going to have for Thanksgiving? You have it every year. You know, and you can't wait to get it. You're already looking forward to it. Can I tell you that this is what, this is what Peter's saying to them? You're in heaviness right now and manifold temptations, trials and troubles. But Jesus is coming. Get ready for it. Be looking for his coming. Number two, I want you to write this down. Not only should we be looking for it, but we should be longing for it. This week can't end fast enough. Tuesday can't get here quick enough. Listen, I'm out of here. Next Tuesday, last class, see ya. Right? I mean, I love you, but I got to go. I love the dorm. Thank you for it. SLC's been great. Thank you. GA was good. Bless you. I learned a lot of stuff. But can I tell you something? I'm heading home. Ain't no bed like my bed. Ain't no cooking like mama's cooking. SLC can't cut it. Right? Listen, so long, SLC. It's been great, but I'm heading to the hizzle. Do we even say that anymore? I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. I'm gone. I love this place, but it's in the rearview mirror, and my focus is on home. I'm going home. This is what he said. Look at verse number seven. He said, the end of all things at hand, but be therefore sober. Be looking for it. But watch what he says. And watch unto prayer. We're to be watching unto prayer. Now listen, this is the earnestness that a Christian has, looking for it, praying for it. Do you know that you're supposed to be praying for the Lord to come? You're to be praying for it. Look over in 2 Peter. Peter talks about this again. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and look at verse number 12. 2 Peter 3 and verse 12, Peter said, and he just said in verse number 10, but the day of the Lord. Will, will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You talk about a big bang and you talk about global warming. They're both in the Bible. They're just at the wrong end of history. There's going to be a great noise, a big bang, and the heavens will be melted away. And then he says, watch this. He said, and all the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that these things shall be dissolved. I mean, all of this stuff in the world is going to be dissolved. What manner of person ought you to be? What, you, what should you be knowing that all of this is going to burn and we're going somewhere else, we're going home somewhere else? What kind of a person should you be? 
He tells you in verse number, verse number 12, he, in verse number 11, he says, you should be persons in all holy conversation and godliness. Now watch this. Looking for, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall be melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwell righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Here's what he's saying. I want you to be looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord. How do we hasten the coming of the Lord? Jesus taught us when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray. John said in Revelation 22 and verse 20, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In Psalm 122 and verse number six, we're reminded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's when Christ comes. That's the coming back, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to rule in Jerusalem. Be praying for that. We're to be late. We're to be, we're to be longing for it. Longing for it. Next week, I'm going to gather up. We're going to run to Denver. We're going to pick up Brianna from the airport. We're going to drive down to Colorado Springs. We're going to meet my brother and his family. We're going to have a we're going to have a protest. And we're gonna go, we're gonna go to my mom and dad's house. And, and I've got other family coming in. And um, we're gonna mourn the loss of a turkey. And we're gonna have a gathering. And hopefully it'll be safe. And we're gonna be careful. But can I tell you something? I can't wait to gather. I'm longing for that. Hey, can, can, are you longing to be home? Are you longing to be home? There was a little boy one time flying a kite, and he let that thing go way up there, way up there. It got, it got way up above the clouds, and, uh, and uh, this little old man came by and said, son, what are you doing standing there holding that string? He said, I'm flying a kite. The little old man looked up there, and he said, I don't see a kite up there. And the little boy said, it's up there. He said, how do you know it's up there? And the little boy said, every once in a while, I feel a tug. <laughs> and can I tell you, that's the way it ought to be for a Christian. <laughs> How to be for a Christian, we ought to just be feeling that tug. There ought to always be something in that tug going home. We're headed home. Let me write down, write down number three. Not only should we be looking for it, and not only should we be longing for it, but watch this. We should be loving. We should be loving at his coming. Look at verse eight. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. The word charity is the word agape. It is God's love. It's the love of God that was put in you. And if in Romans 5, the love of God was shed abroad in your hearts. It's the love that God puts into a believer that causes us, it causes us to love with an uncondition, unconditional godly love. It helps, us to, it helps us to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. It's a selfless love. It's a sacrificing love. Listen to me. It's a love that the world doesn't have. Do you understand that one of the great things the Bible says in the last days, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, he said, but, it, but in the last days iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. Do you know the two great marks of the last days is lawlessness and lovelessness? 
They won't love. There won't be love. Listen, you, the world talks about love. They talk about tolerance, but they don't love. They don't understand love and tolerance. But a Christian has got the love of God in their heart. Oh, this love is so important. Why is it so important? Because it's the greatest virtue. Hey, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. The greatest virtue is love. And it was marked by the greatest commandment. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 13 that uh, the greatest of these is love. It's the greatest virtue. It's the greatest commandment. But it's also the church's greatest testimony. Let me tell you young men something. When you go out, when God sends you out here and you, and you go to start a church and you build a church, the community may hear about your church through your website. They may see your church by your buildings, but let me tell you something, websites and buildings aren't the testimony of a thriving church. Amen. I'll tell you the greatest testimony of the church has, Jesus said, and hereby shall men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. When you love each other, when they see people who are sacrificially giving and going and bearing each other's burdens, that's when the world knows it's real. Not only is love the greatest virtue, greatest commandment, greatest testimony, but it is the greatest motivation. The love of Christ constraineth me. It's the love of Christ that constrains me. Paul, why do you go where you go? Because Jesus loves me and I love him. It's love that'll make you work on the dark days. It's love that'll get you to the office on the days when you feel discouraged. It's the love of Jesus Christ that'll get you through the greatest burdens. I've been some places in my ministry where I thought, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. I don't know if I can get through this. There been some times where I had the weight and the heaviness and the brokenness that was, that was to a point where I didn't know what to do. But all I could do is just kneel and know the love of Christ. And know that Jesus loved me. And I love him. And I can get up and walk one more step and go one more day. The love of Christ constrains me. But let me just warn you something about this kind of love. I'm talking about, listen to me, I'm talking about Calvary kind of love. But let me tell you something about this love. This kind of love that, hey, this is the love that we're supposed to be having when Jesus comes. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. This kind of love is going to cost you. It's fervent. I talked about having an espresso machine in my office, and it's got a little steam wand on it, and I take milk, and I put that milk up underneath that steam wand, and I crank that steam up, and that steam begins to boil. You know that, that good, if you're a coffee drinker, you know that sound? It sounds like paper tearing. Right? You know what I'm talking about? That steam is, is steaming that milk, and what happens, that milk begins to start rising in that cup. And what, what happens is when milk heats, when milk boils, it doesn't roll like, uh, like, like water does. It, 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 it begins to move upright. And what, what's happening is the enzymes in the milk are stretching. It's stretching it out. It's increasing its mass. This is what the word fervent charity has the idea of. It stretches you. The love of God stretches you. 
It stretches you to a place where you love beyond yourself. This love will cost you. It'll stretch you. It'll cause you to boil over. It'll cause you to do things you didn't know you could do. To bear burdens you didn't know you could bear. To help people you didn't know you could help. It's the love of Christ in you. That's what we need at the coming of Christ. Not only that, but this love also covers. Notice it says that this love is what covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't say that this love sweeps sin under the rug. The Bible says in Proverbs 10 and verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. The Bible also says in the book of Proverbs that he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. We're not talking about sweeping sin under the rug. We're talking about covering sin in a way that allows sin to be confronted in love, in truth, and dealt with to repentance. The Bible teaches us Christians that we're to love each other enough to look at our friend and say, that's sin. That's wrong and it needs to get right. Love does that. It was Ham who saw his father drunken and in his nakedness. And Ham ran from the place mocking his father, shaming his father, and uncovering his father's sin. But Shem and Japheth went and got a blanket and they put it on their shoulders. And they went in backwards and they covered their father's nakedness. They didn't shy away from the fact that their father Noah had sinned. They confronted it in love and they dealt with it and they brought him to a place of restoration. The Bible says, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Can I tell you, we need the love of God in our churches today. We need the love of God in Christians today. A love that will go to those who are broken and to help them, confront them. Restore them. This is a day and age where people, listen to me, people are going to get out of church right now. People are going to fall by the wayside. Christian people are going to succumb to fear. They're going to get away from church and because of that, sin's going to take root in their life and they're going to start going back to old lifestyles. I've seen it in our church family. Men who got saved are now stepping out of church and they're going back into things that ought not to be. And love runs to them and confronts it and helps them and gets them out of that and tries to restore them. I wrote something down in my flyleaf of my Bible many years ago that I heard. I don't know where it came from, but it says this. Let me be a little kinder. Let me be a little blinder to the faults of those around me. And let me praise more. That's what this love does. This love cares. Look at verse number nine. Use hospitality one to another. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Oh, this love cares. Hey, what are we to be doing what are we to be doing in these days of persecution? Looking for him, longing for him, and loving one another. Let me give you one last thing and we're done. What should we be doing? Look at verse number, look at verse number 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know what we should be doing? We should be laboring. We ought to be laboring for the coming of Christ. Looking for and hastening the coming of Christ. Hey, how do we labor for the coming of Christ? But God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
The Bible says that the days of the Gentiles are not yet full. Listen, there's still an an open invitation. Whosoever will may come. There is a call for men to be saved. And I believe that there's going to come a point when that one soul, that last soul, is born again and Christ comes again. We ought to be laboring for that. God is not willing that any should perish. Listen, we're going through turmoil and trial and persecution. God is shaking the nations. He's awaking men into understanding their own mortality, the, the, fragi- the, the fragility of life and of this world, and God is shaking the world, trying to bring men to himself, and there needs to be an army of people laboring to bring souls to Christ. Listen, you ought to have one thing on your mind. Christ is coming. I can't wait to see him, and I want to love God's people, and I want to bring as many people with me as I can. Who are you taking to heaven with you? Do you have unsaved family members? you have an unsaved father, an unsaved mother? Do you weep over them? Do you pray for them? Do you witness to them? Not long ago, a few weeks ago, I had a cousin of mine. I hadn't seen him in 25 years. Cousin of mine came and sat in our church on Sunday morning. They were the cousins. They were the family that we were told when I was growing up, we, we, we don't associate. They're heathens. And they were. My dad had a brother that my dad prayed for, his brother and his sister. My dad prayed for them for 20 years. Every night, family devotion, dad would weep. God saved my brother. God saved my sister. 20 years went by. Dad did everything he could, witness to them. They rejected. My grandmother went in the hospital with cancer. She passed away. We were in the hospital the day that she died, and my Uncle Don looked at my dad, and my Uncle Don said, Dean, let's go down to the cafeteria and get a cup of coffee. So they started walking. I was, just a, I was just a boy, and I started walking with them. My Uncle Don said, nope, just me and your dad. I was low-key offended. <laughs> they went down to the cafeteria. They got down there, and my Uncle Don looked at my dad across that table. My dad, and my Uncle Don said, Dean, tell me one more time what you've been trying to tell me. My dad shared the gospel with Don. Right there in that cafeteria in the, in the Billings Hospital, my Uncle Don slid out from that chair, got on his knees, and trusted Christ as his Savior. My Uncle Don died a year later. At his funeral, my dad's sister got saved. And that was her son that was sitting in my church that day. He said, guess what I do? I said, what do you do? We haven't seen each other in 25 years. He said, I drive a truck through the week. He said, but on Sundays, I drive the Sunday school bus for our church in Billings. And we started talking, and here's this heathen that's talking about Jesus. And he's talking my language. You see, listen to me. Some of you got unsafe family. Are you praying for them? Are you trying to win them to Christ? Many years ago, there was a, uh, there was a, uh, our, 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 we brought our staff actually out here to leadership conference and we were at the Reagan Library. And we didn't know this, but at the Reagan Library that day, they had, uh, they had Buzz Aldrin. He was going to speak and give a speech about going to the moon and all that stuff and we went down and we heard his lecture. It was, it was very interesting until he got off the rails at the end and started talking about how we need to colonize Mars because we've killed our planet and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I thought, man, he's smelled a little too much space dust or something. <laughs> One guy stood up and asked him a question. The guy was, this guy was enamored with him. And the guy, they gave the microphone and this guy asked a question and he was starstruck. And instead of saying, uh, Mr. Aldrin, he said, uh, Mr. Lightyear. <laughs> it was so funny. And Buzz was very offended about that, by the way. But the question was asked to Buzz, 
Hey, Buzz, there was one rocket left on that ship. When you guys landed, there was one rocket that had to fire to get you back into the lunar orbit to get you back to the planet. What were the protocols if anything went wrong with that rocket? He said, well, we had six hours of reserve oxygen and, and supplies. We had six hours if that rocket didn't fire. And somebody said, so what was the protocol for six hours? He said, work on the rocket. For six hours, I'm going to work on the rocket. <laughs> he said, we had one job. If that thing failed, we had one job. Fix the rocket. Can I tell you something? Young people, you've got one job. Win souls for Jesus Christ. I'll tell you this and I'm done. I'm, I'm about one minute. Years ago, there was a guy by the name of Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a great tight roper. He, he, would, he would walk over all kinds of stuff. And, and, and he, got, he went to the Niagara Falls and stretched that cable across. And he walked on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. This guy was crazy. He, he took an oven with him one time. And he cooked eggs and bacon and pancakes on the oven while he tightroped. And then he served it to people on the other side. Charles Blondin got a, got a wheelbarrow and said, how many of you think I can take a wheelbarrow across the, and everybody, yeah. So he walked the wheelbarrow across, got to the other side. Hey, how many of you think I can take these bricks in this wheelbarrow on the other side? Yeah. So he took them on the other side. He said, how many of you think I can take a person? Everybody said, yeah, you can do it. He said, who wants to get in? And nobody came. <laughs> they asked him, they said, Charles Blondin, he said, You've, you've walked this tightrope all these times. I said, how do you do it? With the water falling and the mist and the roar and all of the, all of the chaos going beneath you and the, mo the motion that could cause you to lose your equilibrium. How do you do it? How do you do it? And he said, I never see any of that. I don't see the water rushing and the mist and I don't see all the, all the, the chaos beneath me. He said, do you see way across on the other side, do you see over there that, that star? He said, when we're setting up our rope, he said, I put on the other side, I put a pole and I put a big star on it. And he said, and when I step out on that tightrope, I look at that star and I never take my eyes off of it. And I never see the chaos. I don't hear the roar. I don't lose my equilibrium. I keep my eye on that star. Can I tell you something, young people? You know what you need to do? Get a firm footing on the word of God. Get your eyes on Jesus. And in the chaos of the world, you walk, looking for his coming, longing for what's on the other side, and loving God's people on the way, and bringing many souls with you, laboring for it, laboring for it. This is an opportunity. We have an opportunity in this age to reach a harvest of souls. And you are laborers being prepared for the harvest let God use you in these last days.